Great, so the reading um, tonight is from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, and that's page 642 in the Church Bibles. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn it out of seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat in, at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here, she says to those who lack judgment. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the deep depths of the grave. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm sure that uh, many of us have seen the film Love Actually. And one of the storylines which is intertwined with many others in the film has a character played by Alan Rickman. And uh, he's in something of a midlife crisis. I'm not. You have those when you're 37. So... um, um, but uh, he's in the midlife crisis. He's seem- <laughs> about the age of some of the staff. Um, and he's, um, he's uh, seemingly happily married with a wife and children and a brother-in-law who also happens to be the Prime Minister. He's tempted off the straight and narrow by a new secretary who's a rather predatory female who displays rather devilish cunning as she tries to lure him into her clutches. And it's Christmas, and there is a highly amusing scene in the film where he is in Selfridges trying to buy a necklace without his wife knowing. Not that she's going to be the recipient, you understand. And the Rowan Atkinson character takes ages wrapping it up with ingredients you'd expect to find in a pot pourri rather than in, a, rather than in a packaging. Now, Rickman's wife is played by Emma Thompson, who does some snooping around the house later. And uh, she had caught a glimpse of which counter that he'd been on in Selfridges, and she finds this little box, and she thinks to herself, ah, a necklace, it's going to be my Christmas present. Well, Christmas Day arrives, she opens the box, only to discover that it's a Joni Mitchell CD. The secretary got the necklace. Now, in a rather um, oblique way, 
she confronts him. Actually, she recently um, revealed, I was reading a couple of weeks ago, that uh, she drew on her own misfortune in acting out that scene, which I can remember when I showed it once, I think at Christmas, uh, in a different context, was actually too moving for some people. In fact, I found it quite moving, but I'd had it sort of dulled off because I'd been setting up the time and all that sort of stuff, as it does. Sometimes these sort of clips can be very powerful. Now, what is he going to do? He has a choice between Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom. He can go for the superficial or the substantial, for the right or for the wrong, for lust or love for the short term or the long term. And he comes out with a classic line. Oh, I've been a fool, he says. And he does the right thing. After all, it is a feel-good film. Well, this choice between folly and wisdom provides a nice introduction to our passage this evening. Because in Proverbs uh, 9... We have two sumptuous parties seemingly presented to us. They are on offer. One is hosted by Lady Wisdom and the other one by Lady Folly. Lady Wisdom's, this is the outline of the, of the chapter, Lady Wisdom's party invitation is in the first six verses. Then there are two responses to the invitation in seven to nine. Then we look at how might a decliner change their mind in 10 to 12. And then Lady Folly's party invitation rounds it off. So we begin with Lady Wisdom's invitation to her party. The venue is obviously a, a sumptuous house. The reference to seven pillars may just mean that it is your ideal home, since seven is the number of perfection in the ancient world. But seven-pillared houses were known, actually, throughout the ancient Near East at the time. The meat has been prepared and the wine mixed, we read, verse 2. Unmixed wine would be referred to as strong drink in the Bible, and the Jews had various uh, ratios of water to wine, the purpose primarily being um, to make the stuff, the water, that is, um, slightly more drinkable and maybe up the alcohol kill off a few more germs, hopefully. That's uh, what they did. It was their way of purifying water. The table is all set. Her maids are sent out with invitations, calling people to come now. Now is the time for the feast. And in addition, she shouts from the highest points of the city, verse 3. Interestingly, the invitees are not just those of her own social class, but what are referred to as the simple and those who lack judgment, verses 4 to 6. As frequently in Scripture, God's invitation is once again expressed in terms of a meal invitation. Food is the means of fellowship in the ancient world, and God used that to illustrate the kind of intimacy of the relationship that he wants with his people. And uh, in both the Testaments, it is the unlikely and those in need of wisdom who are invited. Derek Kidner phrases it like this. He says, 
The guest deficiency is their only qualification. So we have the simple in Proverbs. They are those who lack foresight. They lack the big picture. They inhabit the small world. They are really like the person who is short-sighted. Now, when I was 18, I had to start wearing glasses because I'd become short-sighted studying for my A-levels. Congratulations to all of you who have done as you'd hoped this uh, last week. And I tended to wear them just for uh, driving or reading or watching the TV. I didn't wear them when I was out and about. I didn't need to. Sometimes, though, what would happen was there would be this young lady across the road who was smiling at me, and I was completely oblivious to the fact. But I knew her, apparently, because she ticked me off afterwards. Um, On other occasions, though, to my embarrassment, I'd wave to women I didn't even know, really. So I started having to wear these things all the time, really. So I was the simple, those who lacked, you know, foresight, too short-sighted in life. Then there is what's referred to as the one who lacks judgment in verse 4. He's the fool. Now, the fool is the one who does what is right in his own eyes, but it is the way that leads to destruction, we're told many times, in the wisdom literature and in the Psalms of the Old Testament. Now, the invitation, verse 6, reads this. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of understanding. So now the second part, the two responses to the invitation. One's from the mocker, verse 7, or in other translations, the scoffer, who is described as wicked, and the other is from the wise man, who is described as righteous. So the mocker responds with insult and abuse in verse 7, And hatred, verse 8, whereas the wise responds with love, the second part of verse 8, and will become wiser, verse 9, and will increase in learning, the end of verse 9. The wise man has made the right decision, but he still acknowledges that he is on a journey, that there is more to learn. He will add to his learning. I think this quote from Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion, makes it pretty clear as to what a mocker's attitude is like. Richard Dawkins. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal pestilential, megalomaniacal, um, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. He's not going to kind of respond positively to God, is he? He is mocking. He's thought of every kind of nasty description going. Well, how might, moving on, a decliner change their mind? Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. That's the motto for the wise. Now, there's a heavy stress on the individual making a decision. The wise will embrace wisdom and live, verse 11, whereas the mocker will reject wisdom 
and suffer, verse 12. Acknowledging the power and the authority of the Lord as well as our accountability to him is recognized by the wise. For the mocker, the thought is like water off a duck's back. For, verse 11, through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. So let's just spend a moment and consider the truth of that, especially how the one who rejects God's wisdom in this life pays the price for it. So just let's take a few things. Let's take, for example, alcohol misuse. German researchers have found that alcohol dependency lowers life expectancy by about two decades. Female alcoholics are especially at risk of an early death. To quote their research, none of the deceased alcoholics we studied reached the average age of 82 for women and 77 for men, said Ulrike John, who's an epidemiologist at uh, the aptly named University of Griefswold. Particularly if you're studying morbidity and mortality, Griefswold is probably the place to study it. Who, um, this guy led the study, and he found that the mean age at death for the alcoholic dependent group in the study was 60 for women and 58 for men, hence his claim to be able to say that serious alcoholic misuse can knock as much as 20 years off your life. Now there's no ban on alcohol in scripture, but the Bible does warn us of both strong drink and its effects and drunkenness and the folly that we commit when we lose control of ourselves. Or take uh, gluttony, um, which I probably ought to address more to myself. But the, um, the economists with RTI International, a non-profit research organization in the States, analyzed national data on 366,000 people. And among the findings published in the online journal Obesity was this, extreme obesity can shorten your life by 12 years. Well, I'm sure different research can come up with different figures, but the generality is probably true. Or take substance misuse. You hear, you see headlines like this, that every cigarette a man smokes reduces his life by 11 minutes. I think that was from the Action on Smoking and Health, which tells us that a 30-year-old smoker can expect to live about 35 years more, whereas a 30-year-old non-smoker can expect to live 53 years more. And obviously, when we know, I mean, some of the saints of the past, like Spurgeon, who smoked a pipe, um, and various others, they didn't know what the adverse consequences of uh, smoking are, but we do, and to therefore do so deliberately would be really a misuse of our God-given life, deliberately setting out to reduce it. However, the good news is that if you stop by the time you're 30, there is little appreciable difference in life expectancy. Or take um, lifelong marriage. A study by academics at the University of North Carolina and Princeton found that the longer men and women stayed married and married to the same person, the lower the risks they face in develop, 
involving chronic conditions. Quote, the researchers found that marriage duration correlates with lower rates of diabetes, cancer, heart attack, and stroke. The preventative effects of marriage duration at a certain age were greater for men than for women. Good. Even if the effects were statistically significant for both genders. For example, a 50-year-old male who has been married for 10 years faces a hazard rate of 0.64. If he's been married for 20 years, the hazard rate drops significantly to 0.41. For a 50-year-old female who's been married for 10 years, the hazard rate is 0.76. If she's been married for 20 years, the rate drops to 0.58, which the researchers call a sizable reduction. On the other hand, what they call divorce transitions. They have a whole kind of vocabulary, don't they, for things. But for divorce transitions, that was when you get divorced, basically, in plain English, were found to increase significantly the likelihood of disease for both men and women. For every divorce, the researchers uh, found that, a, that women are 1.22 times more likely to exhibit disease onset. For men, it's 1.1 reflecting that marriage yields greater health benefits for men, but becoming a widower was found to be a significant predictor of disease for men, but not for women. Losing their wives increased men's hazard rates by 44%. So put simply, lifelong marriage is good for the health of both men and women, but more so for men. Those... Um, though these men do not fare so well as women when they are bereaved and left on their own. So, gents, the conclusion is probably too late for many of us to work this out, but for the younger ones, if you're a bloke, marry a younger wife. Then look after her to make sure she doesn't divorce you or die before you. <laughs> for, well, that's what it reveals, isn't it, really? You can realise I had great foresight. Um, um, and for women, apparently you will be worse off if uh, you're divorced than married, but you'll manage much better if you're widowed than your husband would. Of course, all this is about averages, and there are always exceptions to averages, but they are less common. Or take uh, debt, for example. Now, you could borrow money and buy one of these. There's nothing wrong in having a nice... Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the... I have, t I have two pictures on my screen. I was looking at the smaller one. So, anyway, basically, the, often today, people have a philosophy of basically that you borrow and buy rather than save and spend. One is a rather foolish and extremely expensive way of acquiring things, and the other one is a cheaper way of acquiring things. Now, so you could borrow money and you could buy yourself one of these. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car, but I suggest that borrowing that sort of money so that you have one might mean that you are in the areas of uh, covetousness Greed, for example. Or you can spend money on one of these, a very nice holiday. But to borrow money to do so could be rather foolish because you could end up losing this.
a house. And in fact, people um, who are in debt, and particularly who end up having repossession, are much more likely to experience depression and to die by suicide. Well, in all these cases, the scoffer will suffer, whereas the wise will live longer. Verse 11. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. In the Gospel, the eternal dimension to this becomes clear to see. The wise will embrace the gift of eternal life, made possible by the cross and made available to us now as an invitation from the Lord Jesus Christ for us to accept. The scoffer, of course, will dismiss the offer out of hand, but he will be the eternal loser. And then last, the fourth, um, last few verses, 13 to 18, Lady Folly's party invitation, in case you are still considering accepting it. She is described as being loud and undisciplined, a real idiot. And she's lounging around at passers-by, uh, being a complete chav. But many a lad is taken in by, you know, the way such are presented. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. The forbidden fruit looks good. And yet it promises much, but delivers little. Verse 18. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. So imagine that you are a Jew in the 9th century BC and you have been posted to Cairo. And you go to a diplomatic party. And this is what you think you are looking at an Egyptian beauty. But Proverbs says the reality is this. She's dead and she'll kill you in the process. So, Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, which is it to be? The, this final poem of the first part of Proverbs, chapters 1 to 9, Contains, contains contrasting personifications of wisdom in 9, 1 to 12, and folly in verses 13 to 18. And each consists of a description of the women, wisdom, 1 to 3, folly, 13 to 15. Both have a call to the simple, by wisdom, in verse 4, by folly, in verse 16. There is an invitation to eat, by wisdom in five and folly in 17, and a statement about where each invitation will lead, one by wisdom, one by folly. And the purpose of the similarity is to highlight the differences which present um, Lady Wisdom as clearly desirable in all respects. The description of Lady Wisdom is this. She's given, in fact, two-thirds of the verses the first 12, I suppose. 12 out of the 18 verses are given over to her. 
Lady Wisdom contains a summary of her teaching in verses 6 to 8 and has her narrating the consequences of her way. But the description of Lady Folly, by contrast, while emphasising the emptiness of her character in verse 13, lacks any of her crooked instruction. That's to say that nothing follows her address and her appeal. Nothing. And has her end narrated about her rather than by her, because she's dead. In the flow of the book, this concluding chapter, chapter 9, acts as a bookend to what began in the introduction, to unify the entire section on its call to recognise, internalise and walk in the way of wisdom. You've probably seen the adverts to call telephone chat lines in the back of newspapers, um, well, like the Evening Standard or even Basingstoke Gazette. And you see a picture of an attractive young woman, usually more scantily clad than this one, and she's enticing you to call. She may look like this in the advert, but I wonder whether this is what is actually <laughs> at the other end of the phone. So, as a little practical application, and it's not just, you know, in the realm of sort of sexual temptation. Maybe the thought of the late Les Dawson, maybe that comes to your mind when you're tempted to, towards something which is attractive, but the reality is Les dressed up as a woman. Lady folly rather than lady wisdom. An action that would lead to death rather than life. Let's pray. Grant us, Lord, the wisdom and the grace to use a right to the time that is left to us here on earth. Lead us to repent of our sins, the evil we have done and the good we have not done, and strengthen us to follow the steps in the steps of your Son, in the way that leads to the fullness of eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.